Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 21 of Have You Seen? I am Kieran Lafort, and uh, with me in the room as usual is Tom Webb. Hello. And I can see what appears to be a midget's guitar behind Tom. Yeah, well, we may get to that a bit later on. Okie dokie. He's, he's brought some form of weapon in with him. <laughs> it's only a weapon if you're a fan of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Midget wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit of an unusual episode uh, yeah. this week, because before we went away for our little uh, sojourns, Yeah. Uh, not together. It wasn't romantic. Or anything, <laughs> no. but, uh, um, uh, we didn't pitch each other movies. We took a pitch from a listener yeah. uh, and watched the movie while we were mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we shall be reviewing that. Yeah. Uh, but we want to talk to you about a fine film you should try and catch before it vanishes from its very limited cinema run. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I guess you're you're probably more qualified to talk about this than, than I am, really, even though I saw the movie okay. with you the other day. Um, so the movie we're going to talk about just a bit briefly now is uh it's called iron sky mm-hmm. um it's the sort of thing that's right up my street because it's nazis and the moon yeah uh so I it, knew it, t- would be. it ticks all the right boxes for me um but kieran was very uh lucky and got to go to finland where the film was produced um and talk to all the, the people involved and, and have a little trip out of that uh, so you're more qualified to talk about it than I am. So why well, don't you kind of kick a off? A little bit of background about the film is that um, it's a low-budget Finnish-German-Australian co-production. Right. Predominantly Finnish. Yeah. Um, and they raised some money for it. Uh, and kind of, it was, an, uh, it was an idea. And they kind of had made some like effects tests mm-hmm. and raised a little bit of money for it. And then kind of put the idea online and crowdsourced a lot of the budget oh right okay um it still the total budget still comes to uh only 10 million dollars us right which for a sci-fi a big sci-fi movie is nothing so that's about what seven or eight million pounds yeah must be about less than that yeah yeah um uh it's effectively approximately five percent of the avengers budget so i I guess that's probably a comparable budget to something like um hot fuzz or uh, hot, Fuzz, hot Fuzz was now was I do eight? know the budget for Hot Fuzz it's either 15 million pounds or 15 million dollars I think it was 15 million dollars so either way this cost less than Hot Fuzz yeah yeah okay yeah right um, and that if you think is a pretty reasonable sized yeah absolutely budget yeah. for a British genre film absolutely yeah, um, yeah. but it's a very small budget for what's effectively an action movie to, to also uh, put it in context uh, Jackie Chan has a big movie out at the end of the year called Chinese Zodiac yep. there is one action sequence in that film that mm. alone cost 10 million dollars US wow okay yeah. so uh, it, it's, it's been produced on a shoestring effectively yeah. over mm. a number of years yeah. uh, the basic premise is in 1945 Nazis retreated to the moon and now they're coming back. Yeah, which is just such a great premise. I can't believe no one's thought of it before. <laughs> Even when, I, I, do you remember, uh, must have been the late 80s, early 90s, one of the tabloid posts, I think it was the Daily Sport or something, ran that, that photograph of the Spitfire that was allegedly on the moon. Mm. And even from based from that, you would have thought someone would have thought of making a movie like that. Mm. But I'm, I'm stunned it's taken this long, Apparently it really. took a bunch of men in Finland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something like 900 effect shots in the film, yeah. and they were produced by uh, a team of uh, roughly 20 people over mm. about 18 months. And they mm. are, by and large, of optimal quality. Yeah, they're very, very good. I would actually, I mean, they're probably comparable to a very high-budget TV show. And in Absolutely. Some, and in some respects, better. They take a lot of cues from, uh, I spoke to uh, uh, a man by the name, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Samuel Torson. 
right. uh, who is um, he was one of the producers on the film, and mm-hmm. he is the uh, he's the uh, visual effects producer and coordinator, right. okay. uh, and he loves uh, the Battlestar Galactica series, right. and loves Babylon Five, and took okay. all of his space battles from actually, that sort of thing, was, and they are very reminiscent yeah, of those shows. I was going to say Babylon Five actually, even though I didn't really watch it much. I, I, I mean, I can remember enough of what it looked like to kind of mm. draw a comparison. But that yeah. of its time had a very particular style to mm, its space absolutely. battles, which was nothing like because previously you'd just seen Star Trek, which yeah. would be a static shot of two models going towards each other and one of them firing a laser beam. Yeah, yeah. whereas stuff like Babylon 5 and Battlestar Galactica is almost like a documentary crew trapped in space and there's a battle going on around them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is very much similar to that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say about it other than that it's it's both brilliant and awful all at the same time. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those films that, that kind of walks a very fine line. Mm. A movie like this, part of its appeal is that it's bad. Yes, but, but this it's isn't. also not bad. No, this is the thing. It's not bad at all, mm. but it kind of plays on the fact that it probably should be. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So, so there's some there are elements of it that you kind of, you kind of think, I know exactly why that's done the way it is because mm. it. I mean, it, it's almost set out straight away. We're aiming at a straight B movie, mm. so you kind of like, you know, there's always that in the back of your mind, mm. even though this is really, really, really good. Mm. It's supposed to be slightly bad, kind of in an intentional way. Yeah, one of my fa- one of my favourite jokes, kind of in that uh, in that vein, mm. is it opens with a a title card that is intentionally spelt wrong and then corrects itself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's um. There's there's loads of fantastic gags in it, and there's loads of um. There's loads of very clever humour. Mm. It um, also kind of walks a fine line about what is offensive or not as it well. It does, yeah. There's quite a lot of race-based humour there is. that they kind of get away with. They get, they actually they play it very, very well. And there, there's a, this is going to sound really weird, but there's one element of it that I really, really liked, um, which was the more th- kind of thought-provoking element of it. Mm. Now, at one point in the movie... The good guys start kind. Well, I say good guys. <laughs> Define good guys. It's a bit difficult in this movie, but but the kind the, the people who aren't the Nazis, put it that way, start a kind of media campaign. But it's done in the style of Nazi propaganda. Mm. And it, what's really interesting is they use all of the elements of Nazi propaganda, which was, you know, it was saying positive isn't really the right term. I mm. suppose it is if you're a Nazi. Yeah. Um, it's so kind of like the you know strength in numbers. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, working together, it's like the real kind of socialist worker side mm. of it. So like all the you know united we are strong mm. that kind of stuff. And it uses that in a context where you kind of go along with it. You're kind of almost like, yeah, I can see they're uniting people when they need it most. Yeah. Um, which is effectively what Hitler did in the 30s. Mm. Um, but you kind of suddenly realize you're in this position where you're like, hang on a minute, I'm actually falling for that slightly. Yeah. And it kind of highlights the fact that, okay, the Nazis happened in Germany in the 30s mm. and the 40s. But actually, given the right set of circumstances, it could probably happen anywhere. Mm. Um and I was actually surprised that I'd thought about it that much. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Given yeah. the type of film that this is. Um, but, you know, that that aside, that's probably just because I'm interested in the, the period of history and yeah. what have you. It's just such good fun. Mm. Because, that, I mean, that's it's, I think that's it's designed to be silly and fun. Mm. And you can see everybody involved thought exactly the same. Like, everyone was just like, we totally get the wavelength this is just supposed to be absolutely stupid mm. and you're just supposed to laugh and laugh and mm. you do. 
one of the interviews we did was with the uh, uh, the woman who played the president of the US. Right, yeah, yeah. very much on Sarah Palin. Yeah. Um, uh, but she doesn't have a name in the film. She's just called the president. Yeah. Uh, and um, the actress was saying just like it, the whole movie is a is one big joke. Yeah. Um, even even down to you know uh, blowing stuff up because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and you know the size of the explosion. Some of my favourite jokes actually are based around um, uh, the Charlie Chaplin film, The Dictator. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really not sure if I should give it away. No, I think you should kind, it's kind of. Yeah. It's, I think it's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the the dictator plays a. Um, a big part in the in the not the part. dictator the great dictator yeah it's called the great dictator yeah because yeah, yeah. the dictator is the stupid thing with the unfunny bloke who used to be Ali G that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the other things that <laughs> we went to like a special screening of it didn't we mm. and um, I said to my wife when I was on the way and she asked me what it was like and I said to her it, it was like going to the cinema in occupied Channel Islands because everyone was talking English but all around you is this kind of Nazi kind of like there were people dressed as nazis that had a swastika projected on the on the curtain yes. in the cinema yes. and it was just a bit like this is really quite weird mm. and i said it, you know it, it's those two like really odd mismatched things mm. um i saw a great photograph the other day of um it was a a, a policeman uh, like a, a uk policeman mm. uh, this was from the, the occupation of the channel lines there's a uk policeman and behind him is a nazi marching band and it's like lloyd's bank and it's just like you look at it and you think Oh my god, that that didn't happen. Yeah. And you kind of, well, kind of, kind of did actually. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, so it's kind of weird. It was really odd going to that screening. Mm. It was good fun though. Mm. Um, I think. Uh, uh, have you seen? Heartily recommend. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Iron Sky. Uh, yeah. Go and see it if you can. It's in a very limited engagement because the release has been kind of uh, botched. Yeah. I think yeah. is the word. Yeah, which it's, is a shame. Yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah, I think, it deserves uh, far better than it it's does. being given. Yeah, this is the sort of movie that. Um, on the surface of it, does look like it should probably go straight to DVD, but actually, given the quality of it, it really should get a. It really should be in cinemas properly. Going with an open mind and your sense of humour switched on, and you'll have a lot of fun. Yeah, and absolutely. even if you can't do that, just sit and marvel at the effects. Yeah, which yeah. are as uh, easily as good as we said as high end TV shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and a fair few movies as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, uh, go and see Iron Sky if you get the chance. I'll see if I can put links on the blogs to uh, the stuff I shot in Finland. Yes, no, do. Uh, because uh, I covered the premiere and uh, we interviewed uh, the director, the producer, the effects guy yeah. and some of the actors involved. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it was a fun, a, a fun weekend in a very cold country. <laughs> okay, well, uh, our major movie this week uh, was pitched to us by Kyle Buxton before we disappeared off the air for summer frolics in warmer climes. Yes. Um I'm not going to read out his whole pitch again because it's long. It was very well written and we appreciate that very much. But if you want to hear all of it, I suggest going back to episode 20 yeah. and uh, and uh, listening to it where I read it in full uh, very badly Yeah, on the mic. Yeah, um, It's Black Snake Moan uh, starring Samuel L. Jackson and Christina Ricci, uh, I believe from the year 2006. It is, yes. Hey. Six years old. Um, it's set in a very, a very small kind of... Uh, Bible Belt kind of town. Uh, Jackson is a, a blues musician whose wife has recently left him for another man. Uh, Christina Ricci is um, an extremely horny little nympho <laughs> who, uh, <laughs> whose husband has uh, has just gone off to war. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> for lack of a better phrase, their worlds collide. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a weird film. I think it is. Yeah, um, I, I'm not. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it while I was watching it, um, mm. which can be kind of seen in my notes um, because the first one I made is that tractor is huge, matron. Yeah, because the f- first note I made. Yeah, go on. Open on Justin Timberlake, porking Christina Ricci. That's why they took this movie then. <laughs> well, it's because it's I was I was kind of like, I wasn't quite sure what I was thinking at the time. So I just ended up like making random comments at, the, at that point. Yeah. Um, if you want to make any of them directly into the microphone, that'll help. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks. I'm trying to look at my notes at the same time. It's hurting yeah. my neck. Um, I should have bought you a stand for your birthday. Tom Tom has aged another gear since <laughs> we've been on this, uh, yeah. since we were last on air. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start with the things I liked about it. Okay. And then you can do the same. And All then right. we'll go into other, the stuff we didn't like. They're probably um, going to correlate, I feel. Yeah. The one thing that I really did like was the music. Or the majority yes. of the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the music as well. Um, Much like Beyond the Sea, I, yeah. I'm not sure I want to own the DVD, but I'm probably going to go and find the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, I thought I was particularly impressed with Sam Jackson. Yeah. Um, he learned the guitar yeah, from scratch. Absolutely. This, and he's I, got a good voice too. Yeah. I was kind of expecting. The blues is one of those things where technically can be quite easy to play on a guitar. Mm-hmm. Like just, I mean, knowing how to play the notes. I mean, I could... Te- oh, we're getting the musician's point of view. Yeah, no, I could, I mean, I could bring a guitar, guitar in and teach you a really simple way to play some blues. Can you teach me on a midget guitar? <laughs> no, I'm not going to teach you on a midget guitar. And it's, technically, it's not a guitar either. Um, Looks like a guitar to me. <laughs> it's not. Um, but the thing about blues is, no matter how simple the mechanics of it are Mm. it's not blues unless there's feeling because that's what it is yeah okay Um, i get that so for example i know how to play like a 12 bar blues but because i'm not you cannot fake being a grizzled black man from georgia yeah because 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 i'm not necessarily (laughs) channeling the right emotions it doesn't sound right blues from waltham abbey doesn't quite work exactly yeah no um so for example like i mean you know, I've, I've, you know, I've learned blues songs and things like that. But you've, you've got, you've got to have that emotion in it. Yeah. And I think the reason he's good at it is because he's an actor. That's what he does. Yeah. The whole point of being an actor is portraying emotion, mm. and he's just f- channeling it through the guitar. And I think that the reason he's so good at it is because of that. I mean, you know, I don't. I think, for example, if you just took somebody else from like you know if you took the director or you took you know the lighting guy yeah and taught them the same guitar parts it wouldn't necessarily come across mm-hmm. um the way that sam jackson does it i particularly like the stuff when he's got the band and they're in the, the in oh the where bar. he does is where he finally gets up the courage to go and do, do, his, his, performance. do his performance yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that stuff's great yeah definitely. that's really really good mm. um, i had a problem with the songs in this actually and it's nothing to do with the songs themselves right. the dvd yeah i found it in a secondhand dvd store in the u.s while yeah. i was away yeah for four dollars right. region one dvd i popped it in first thing that happened was it reset my dvd player's region coding right. to region two and told me it wouldn't play right so i had to reset that and then every time the songs came on the bloody french subtitles came <laughs> for every single song in bright yellow at the bottom of the oh, screen no. That's weird. Yeah. And it was just for the, <laughs> the songs. songs. How yeah. odd. How odd. And it told me, when I brought up the display, it just told me subtitles off. And th- there it was in <laughs> French telling me what he was singing. Oh, dear. They don't trans- <laughs> Blues doesn't tra- like, translate well into French. I can tell you that right, much. Right. Okay. Um, the other thing that I thought was really good, I actually thought Justin Timberlake was really good. 
I didn't think he was in. He wasn't in it long enough to make much of an impression no. for me. Well, and he didn't have enough of a didn't have enough of a part. He's there at the beginning, then he buggers off for an hour. He does. Yeah. One of the things I wrote actually though is I thought he was probably one of the most interesting characters, and I really wanted to know more about him and his story. Okay. Um, but I'd I thought, kind of given up caring about the film by the time he came back. Yeah, I th- I think that he it was a shame because I thought his performance was mm. probably the best acting performance. Okay, I think Jackson's was. The note I made was, let's see if I have it. Oh, yeah, my final note. Everyone is acting except Jackson, who's just being. Yeah. He's the only person for me that felt natural in the film. Yeah, yeah, I probably I know agree Kyle with that, highlighted Christina Ricci's performance. Yeah. But I, th- I think she was really overdoing it, and I think she was shockingly miscast. I, I think she overdid it as well, actually. Mm. Um, I think that, I think her condition, for lack of a better word, mm. um, was a bit. I don't know. It just didn't seem real. No, exactly that. And she's entirely. I think she's entirely the wrong person. How old is she supposed to be? Because yeah. she looks like a slutty fourteen-year-old. Christina Ricci's face. I'm. I was actually. I was shocked to discover because she's been around forever. Yeah. I was shocked to discover she's younger than I am. Yeah, she's same age as me. I think. Yeah. And uh, well, that makes me sound old. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but her face isn't growing up. No. Actually, neither does the rest of her. Really. No, to be honest, I thought. I really thought she was not not attractive or sexy. No. At all. No. And one of my things is that she can't do sexy. Into and, the mic. Sorry. <laughs> one of the notes I put is she can't do sexy and she really needs a pie. Yeah. Wasn't she just thin enough to st- slip out of the chain? Yeah. So the ma- one of the major thrusts of the film is that these two come together and part of uh, Jackson's healing process for her to mm. drive out. It's not really drive out the demons in that kind of preacher way. No, but... but- just to help her to, with to her, help her to, yeah. and to heal her is he chains her to his radiator yeah in his house um and i was just thinking isn't she small enough just to slip out of yeah i see now i think part of the problem i had was that what you know why why does he have why is he doing it like you know he has no kind of he seems motive to, in a way. He seems but, to think that to cleanse his soul, he needs to cleanse hers. Yeah, I get that, but it's just a case. But that's like, the ramblings of a madman. That's the thing. It was like I was trying to work out. I couldn't work out which one was the crazy one. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, he he was kind of like he the way he was dealing with it, it just seemed wow. You know, it, this is like the premise for a horror movie where he's the he's the bad guy. Yeah. Except there isn't a horror. Yeah. Scene and. I I actually think that this film would have been better and made more sense if A, it had been set in the 40s or 50s mm. and they'd kind of they'd kind of made the racism divide stronger mm. um, and also they that he'd been the preacher. Maybe, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. or, or he'd been in a position of power or mm. like a teacher or As something. As opposed to being a farmer and a blues guitarist. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of was a bit of a mismatch because it was kind of like, well, hang on a minute, he's chained her up Mm. And he says he's going to cure her, but what kind of right or knowledge does he have? What kind of qualifications do you have, Mister Jackson? It, in a way, yeah. yes. And I don't necessarily mean like medical qualifications. Any, yeah, no, I know. You, you know, mean. if you're a teacher or you're a preacher or you're whatever, you've got some kind of understanding of people. And you know, whereas he he just farms and plays the blues. And yeah, it just kind of was a bit. I I'm not really sure about it. I wrote. I have one particularly long note in the middle that mm. says. I cared about Jackson till he chained her up. Now I don't care about anybody. Uh, yeah. If this was just a straight-ahead story about Lazarus rebuilding after his wife leads him, I'd probably like it a lot more. Yeah. Um, I don't need Christina Ricci or her store at all. Yeah. My favourite stuff 
I don't favorite's probably a strong word. Stuff I liked were um Lazarus's scenes with the preacher. Yeah. And particularly all the flirtatious stuff yeah. he does with the pharmacist. Yeah, you know the pharmacist they... was the wife of Joe Morton in Terminator Two. Oh yeah. Which oh, I can yeah. believe. Well we look I was watching it and Nick said isn't she the, isn't she in Terminator 2? And I looked at her and I'm like, no. Mm. No, of course she's not. And I looked at her up and she's like, yeah, she was. Bloody hell. <laughs> but yeah, I thought they had a really kind of sweet mm, relationship. Absolutely. And I like their kind of feeling out and getting yeah, to know yeah, each yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're right, actually. I think it, I think it would have been, it, yeah, you could have got rid of Ricci and Timberlake and all of that side of it and had him dealing with basically his wife leaving, mm. recovering from and managing alcoholism. Mm bringing his, the music back and getting his blues career back on track yeah. and then finding love with the pharmacist. That would have made a really nice little yeah. tale story. But for some for some reason, mm. this extra story has been kind of thrown in. Yeah, my, my final note that I wrote down was all the characters need proper psychological care Yes, uh, and finding a cure uh, that is not based on sound psychological method would probably do them a lot more harm than good. Yes, I think you're right. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, near the end, you've got Christina Ricci and Justin Timberlake driving away. And, and, and one of the things that they don't really go into that much is that he's got a, a, a yeah, mental yeah. issue I, as well, see, which is I anxiety. I completely, I completely forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, so now he and has... that the, only shows up towards the end of the film. It does. And, and it's like, that I thought could have been a lot more interesting. So I he know, suffers uh, from anxiety attacks, which is mm. why he comes back from the army, because yeah. he can't cope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... You know, anxiety needs to be treated in quite a specific way using mm. rational thought. And, yeah. you know, having her just kind of pat him on the shoulder that isn't going to work. No. So, I know that the ending is not the original ending. Oh, really? The original ending that. had Timberlake, uh, Timberlake's character uh, shooting Lazarus. Right. I did wonder if that him. would happen, actually. Um, and then... Yeah, it kind of it ends twice as well. There was a perfectly good ending point after mm. um after they uh do they renew their vows or do they just marry yeah. or yeah they yeah, get yeah, married yeah. yeah um and there was a perfectly good ending point there and then yeah. there's the whole driving away business and him having yeah. his little breakdown in the car which was entirely unnecessary yeah yeah it was almost like an afterthought I think. yeah yeah it kind of I was what I thought was a bit weird was that you know the guy that directed this is kind of starting to be considered as, as an auteur. Um, Who is it? I wasn't really paying attention. This guy called Craig Brewer. I think Craig, Craig Brewer? I think that's mm. his name. I didn't write it down. I probably should have done. Um, but he, he's done Hustle... Um, he did, you, you keep talking. I'm checking through Carl's notes to see if it actually mentions the... Uh, see, <laughs> um, no, he did Hustle and Flow, which mm-hmm. was, I think, kind of sort of rap and hip-hop style stuff. Then he did this. And then the most recent thing he's done was the remake of Footloose. Huh. Which I kind of thought was a bit weird. Or a little triumvirate yeah. of films. Yeah. Um, I have two. Uh, do you have any more? Or because I have two two other uh, final notes. Okay, you go for. It. I can't think I've written any more. I know. Um, one thing it does do actually is it did a very good job of conveying the heat of the region. I wrote. I think my TV is sweating. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. I could feel the humidity yeah, kind of mean, radiating yeah. from the yeah. TV. Um, and I rechristened it Bath Shag Moan because that's all that <laughs> happens in this film. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things. Um, I'm not sure I'd watch the film again, like you said. I'd probably listen to the music, or 
I, it might be worth finding some of the musical scenes on YouTube or something like that. Yeah, uh, I'll have just a look to see, see if Sam, I can, yeah, see just if to I can see link one. Sam Jackson. Because like, he is pretty bloody good, as is. we said yeah, at yeah, the beginning. Yeah. yeah. There was a bit of... Um, one of the things I did actually like was the uh, the inclusion of the the footage of Sun House, the old blues player that came at the beginning and the end. Oh, the um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know who he was. I, yeah. I obviously he's, twigged he was a legit. Yeah, blues he's man. one of those. He's one of those blues men who is he's a legend amongst the community, but wasn't kind of widely known outside of that. Lightning Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, I, in fact, the only reason I'm aware of who he was mm. was because my dad went to see him at a gig in the early sixties. Okay, um, and and he's got a program from that. Okay, um, and so that's where I'd heard the name. And obviously, my, my you know I'd listened to my dad's blues CDs and stuff yeah. like that and what have you. So I kind of had a had a twig on who who he was, um, and, and you know it was I ne- I've never seen any footage of him. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of interesting to see that. I'd, mm. I, I it would have been nice, but to see some footage of him playing because mm. I suspect that was quite an influence on the the Jackson yeah, stuff. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that's it really. I'm not I think it's fairly safe to say that neither of us particularly like this film. No, it was uh... I was kind of hoping you would and I'd just tell you to keep the DVD because I don't really want it back. <laughs> right. No, it's <laughs> And like... it's region one, so I can't sell it. Yeah, it's one of those movies that I wouldn't necessarily I liked it. I thought it was kind of interesting to watch and there was some interesting stuff in it. Mm. But you know. Didn't hang know. together. No, 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 it just it just, it just didn't quite I, I, maybe I just didn't get it. Put it that way. I wondered that as well. Yeah. Maybe I'm just not getting this. Yeah. Like, I, as I said, there's plenty of elements I did like. For yeah. example, Jackson's character and his, his yeah. story, but the weird little nympho midget thing didn't do anything for me. No, me either. Me either. I've just made it sound like Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that's good. Okay. Well, let's move on to we have a listener review. Yeah. Uh, I'm quite excited to hear this. That we uh, do the customer feedback thing and forgot to go on Amazon and get any reviews for Black Snake Mode. So we're going to gloss over that in a very clunky fashion. (laughs) Okay. uh, And move on to a listener review we've had sent in uh, for Senna. Yeah. Um, Stuart Allen sends us a review. Cool. Uh, And Stu says. Finally got round to sitting down to watch Senna, appropriately enough given the subject matter, on a Sunday afternoon. Nice. As an F1 fan and someone who was right around that impressionable age at the time when he was racing, I have hazy memories of Senna as one of my boyhood heroes. I knew that the documentary was highly unlikely to disappoint given the plaudits it has received. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to say that I enjoyed it greatly. It was nostalgic for a golden age of racing and an an affecting portrait of a virtuoso. I need to hold this up higher so I can read it better. It's in very small type. (laughs) He was a man of extreme faith, both both in his God and in his own talents, pushing their car, pushing the cars to the edge. I think I'm doing this really well. I think the most fascinating line in the entire documentary was a bit of an interview with Senna, played over some cockpit footage of him roaring around Monaco, where he says that I realised I was well beyond my conscious understanding while driving. Yeah. In the age of the superhero movie, he was a man who actually appeared to have reflexes and instincts which far exceeded human abilities. Mm. His rivalry with Alan Prost was obviously a huge part of the documentary, though in a strange way, Prost was upstaged as the villain of the piece by former FIA president Balestra. Balestra, there we go. Yeah. Balestra was the emperor to Prost's Vader, if yes, you will. absolutely. That's a great analogy. Yeah. I'm not sure how else it... One moment. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> I haven't read this. I just got it sent to me. I well, haven't read it, it. It's appropriate that Stu mentions the uh, the the Monaco sequence, seeing as it's the Monaco Grand Prix this weekend. Apparently so. Yeah. 
I'm not sure how else it could have really been achieved or even that it should have been done any differently, but the tonal shift of the documentary towards the end was pretty severe. Mm. From glamour girls and trophies, all of a sudden there was a sombre and foreboding feel. The car was no good. Senna wasn't happy and seemed to have doubts. His rival had retired. Fellow Brazilian Rubens Barrichello had a nasty crash. Roland Ratzenberg had died. It didn't look like Senna's heart was in it anymore. And then the fatal crash, which was incredibly doom-laden with in-car footage of his final turns. Mm-hmm. The movie ends fairly suddenly with an unresolved ending, which is exactly what you could say about Senna's life. Mm. Even though I, But although I entered the disc looking blankly at the screen, I didn't feel like I'd wasted my time revisiting the story of this great man. Mm. Incidentally, the, the exclusive use of archive footage as opposed to cutting to modern-day interview footage makes the whole thing seem more contemporary and timeless. Fantastic work. Yeah, I think I, you know, I've said it loads of times on this podcast. I absolutely love this film. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. I've actually read, uh, I've been reading a, an autobiography of Ed and Senna recently, and um, there's like there was a bit more insight into like the, the weekend that he died and stuff, mm. and it's just like his attitude beforehand, like um, Stu mentions there, there's a really big tonal shift mm. and that i mean that literally happened mm. between 1993 and 1994 there mm. was it just changed mm. and you know you watch footage of the races leading up to it you and any footage of him and you can just see that he's he seems like a completely different man almost mm-hmm. so uh, it's a great documentary highly recommend it everyone should watch it absolutely cool awesome do you want to head into your Pitch for me for next week? Yes, one moment. I am going to pitch you a film with no sex. Okay. No real on-screen violence. No fast cuts. No bad language. Okay. And I don't think anybody even so much as breaks into a jog, and yet it remains a thriller. Okay. Uh, Written and directed by David Mamet, Mm -hmm. uh, who has written just about everything going yeah. uh playwright novelist mm-hmm. uh for film and tv he wrote uh the postman always rings twice untouchables glengarry glenn ross hoffer the edge wag the dog he wrote ronin under a pseudonym oh wow uh state and maine hannibal uh red belt and all 66 episodes of the unit tv series okay i really really like glengarry glenn ross mm. and i've I never like... seen it i own a copy but i've never seen yeah, it. yeah i will pitch that to you okay. okay um and it's called the spanish prisoner Okay. From 1997. Right. Uh, It's named after a confidence trick trick of the same name. Right. Um, uh, Joe Ross, played by Campbell Scott, has invented a process. It's only ever called the process. Right. uh, That could make a lot of people a lot of money. Uh, He's on a Caribbean island with colleagues to close a deal to sell this process. Mm -hmm. And while he's there, he meets Jimmy Dell, played by Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, Martin asks Ross to take a package to his sister in New York. Uh, and a long, intricate con begins. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I don't. Uh, it's one of those films where you need to know as little about it as possible. Yeah, fine. That's that's okay. I think actually my one for you this week might be a bit the same. Okay, I think you'll like it because okay. it has a very old-fashioned, very very sixties kind of feel okay. to it. Um, you know, I it love that. takes its time unfolding. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it doesn't really go very far in the first hour. Right. Okay. Um, but it kept me it kept me gripped to the end. I ha- I saw this I saw this got get a really good review years and years ago when it first came out, mm. and then I rented it on VHS um, and watched it and loved it, and then it just kind of disappeared from my life. And yeah. then I managed to get hold of it, um, and I didn't actually watch it again until uh, trying to think of what I could pitch you right. this week. And I was thinking, God, I really hope I like this as much as I did. Yeah. Uh, 
no, I could remember. I could remember maybe two scenes from it. Right. Um, and watching it all again, I'm really paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm not sure I did pay full attention to it all the way through because I got to the end and it made me think of something that might have happened at the beginning. So I rewound to the beginning <laughs> right. to see if it, it all happened. tied in. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it held me all the way through. Okay. Um, Steve Martin in his first serious role. Oh, interesting. He's really good, I okay. think. He's not actually in it an awful lot. Yeah. It's one of those extended cameo type roles. But yeah. But he's still, he's still a major character. Right. In, uh, similarly, in the same way to Jack Nicholson uh, right. appeared in A Few Good Men. Yeah. He, he only had three scenes, but he was a major player. Oh, His presence yeah. is felt over the whole piece. Yeah. And, um, and he's okay. very good in the role. Um, uh, look out also for uh, Felicity Huffman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed O'Neill, who you might know from Modern Family, yeah, yeah. and everything that David Mamet has ever made, Ed oh, O'Neill yeah. has shown up in. Right. Um, and Clark Gregg in a very small role, who oh, is excellent. now, you know, he's 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 uh, on the cusp of superstardom thanks to all the Marvel movies. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, what can I say? I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have anything to say. That's fair enough. Um, yeah. I think I think you'll enjoy it. A lot of the details are quite obfuscated. Right. You're never told what the process is yeah. uh, or how much money it could make worth. I don't think a, a money figure of any kind for anything is, is ever that mentioned that right? in the film. Anytime sometimes characters that, talk about money, they never get to the figure. Sometimes that's the best way. Yeah. And I, I think actually that's where sometimes where a lot of movies fall down, where they're suddenly like, we need to explain this. Yeah. And then that's where they suddenly create a plot hole for themselves, which yeah. they then don't bother to fix. Mm. Um, so no, I quite like stuff like that. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. intrigued. I, think, I, I have a feeling that this is right up your street. I've never even heard of it. Excellent. So good. yeah, sounds good. Marvelous. Awesome. Your turn. Okay, so I'm going to pitch you something now, which I didn't know I was going to pitch you um, <laughs> until a couple of weeks ago. See how prepared we are, no, loyal no, no, listener. Well, well, okay. So while we were away, Kieran went off on his holiday, mm-hmm. and I had to go away on a work trip. And my work trip was to Hawaii. Yeah, he says work. <laughs> It was a work trip. <laughs> I've seen the photos. Yeah, I should, I'll see if I can dig out the, the end piece created and we'll, we'll show ah, that's it. That's a good was idea, actually. I, I, I actually did some work. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did actually go on holiday, but I'm not going to put any of my holiday photos up <laughs> on the blog, mostly no. because I look like a tit in most of them. <laughs> um, so the interesting thing about Hawaii is that loads of films are shot there. So yeah. I was kind of thinking it would be fun to do something along the lines of, you know, the locations I went to and what have you. And uh, there were a couple of options I had. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most famous film to be shot in Hawaii would be Jurassic Park. But yes. you've obviously seen that. Yes. Um, I, and it was actually uh, possibly uh, one of the great things was going to one of the locations from Jurassic Park. It happened to be on a tour that we were doing. I saw a photo things. From, yeah. the lo- from the location. Yeah. And... Without a caption saying, "This is a location from Jurassic Park," I recognised yeah. it immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I had my photo taken again. We're standing next to the the log where the, the Sam Neill and the kids hide. Oh, yeah, the yeah, Gallimimus yeah. leap over the top. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. That was kind of almost like a childhood dream come you, true. You should, you should have crouched down next to it and had Adam leap over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so there was that, and there was a couple of other movies and things that have been shot there that I quite like, and I thought, oh, I could pitch you this, I could pitch you that. I thought I'd be really cruel and pitch you an Adam Sandler movie. Um, yeah. Which I, which you might have I, ended up eating a DVD <laughs> next week. <laughs> which I haven't done. Um, but what was really interesting was that um, we were going there to cover a specific movie that was coming out on Blu-ray, uh, has just come out on Blu-ray, in fact, uh, and DVD. Um, 
And prior to going, I knew that we were going to certain locations from this movie and we were going to try and not recreate, but try and do something in the vein of those scenes in those locations. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I didn't get time to watch the whole film, but I did get a chance to watch those specific scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of, I was prepared for what I had to do. Mm. Um, But then as luck would have it, on the flight over, the movie was playing on the plane. Mm -hmm. So I thought, perfect, I'll just watch the whole film. Um, and it's not a film that I probably would have watched, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to pitch you The Descendants. Mm-hmm. Does this mean you've since come back and purchased it? Uh, yeah. Or were oh. you given a free promo copy while <laughs> no, you were out there? No, I, I, I have uh, I have a copy uh, mm-hmm. with me, which I think is the, the screener that we were sent. Okay. Um, but I, I probably will get, get myself a copy because... Mm. Um, it was on my plane too, and it was one of the ones I didn't get to. Yeah, it... Um, I don't really want to tell you too much about it because, mm. again, I went in pretty cold. All I really knew about it, despite the fact that I filmed some interviews at the premiere, all I really knew about it was that it was about a guy... I was going to say, I shot the press con, so I yeah, should know something about it. So uh, the basic premise is that um, there's a man played by George Clooney. His wife has a boating accident and he's dealing with the aftermath of that, trying to reconnect with his kids... And he's also dealing with a a, a, a land issue mm-hmm. where he's the he's the trustee of a piece of land. Um, basically, um, Hawaii had its own monarchy, mm. and a century ago, century and a half ago, a lot of the people that moved to Hawaii from the UK and and America and stuff like that, who were, were well thought of by the the kings and the queens and and what have you, were were sold these huge chunks of land mm. for like two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars, and I mean to, I'm talking thousands of acres. Yeah. Um. And basically, then the descendants of those people then inherited this land uh, lands as trusts, mm-hmm. but those trusts. Uh, finite so they run out Mm -hmm. and basically he's heading up this trust deciding whether they should sell to one person and make half a billion or sell to someone they quite like a bit more but for a bit less Mm -hmm. so they stand to make huge sums of money out Mm. of it so he's kind of struggling with that decision as well and then there's some other elements that come into it that you know i didn't really know about sure so i'm not going to let you know about them either um it's much funnier than i thought it was going to be although it's not a comedy. There are some. There's a couple of moments where you you may you know almost laugh out loud, but mm-hmm. it will amuse you throughout. Okay. Um, George, can Clint- I just say I see you're doing this whole pitch without notes, and I'm very impressed. Uh, I do have notes. I, I can see your. I can see your, You've done this. Yeah. Yeah, I do have notes. Uh, I haven't written many down. Okay. Um, well, I've written some down that I don't want to go into. Okay. Um, Clooney was nominated for best actor at the Oscars. Yes. For this, but didn't win it because the artist won it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm quite keen to see the artist. I did see that on the plane. Because I'd be interested to know then which person you would think deserved it. Because okay. I think Clooney is, I mean, he's great in this. Okay. Um, and I'll go more into why I think he's good next time because okay. I you know, don't want to give stuff away. Um, there's only one person actually that I think... When you start watching it, you'll go, oh, he's a bit cliched and a bit, you know. Adam bit, Sandler? No, it's not Adam Sandler. Um, there's a character in it called Sid, okay. who, who's a friend of the eldest daughter, and he's he, he 
is really playing the surfer dude mm-hmm. and it seems a bit much mm-hmm. but there is a scene that comes sort of you know midway through the movie where you kind of find out an insight into why he's like that mm-hmm. so although he might seem a bit cliched and a bit kind of odd mm-hmm. that's almost quite done on purpose if that makes sense there's a seed of truth in every cliche and every yeah absolutely yeah um but the other thing about this is that um i've also read the book mm-hmm. since going there um and I have to say that the translation from book to film is really, really good. Okay. Um, the in fact, the only thing I can think of that's different is that they've melded two people in the book into one person in the film. Sure. Which, quite honestly, probably works better by doing that. Um, yeah. So it's kind of an interesting movie, and we got to go and you know we met the author mm-hmm. uh, of the book, and uh, you know we went to some of the like these amazing locations uh, in and around. But if I can get the video onto the blog or a link to it you'll be able to see yeah, where yeah. we went and what we did so um yeah so for me this was one of those movies that just surprised me at how much i liked it mm-hmm. um and left me thinking like you know i saw it two weeks ago and i'd quite like to watch it again okay so yeah that's huh. that's basically my pitch tremendous i guess we're done here i think we are yeah yeah mm-hmm. um we should do the uh the plugs and the thanks. Yeah, sure. And uh, be on our merry way. Uh-huh. Do you, do you want me to get the uh, the midget guitar? I want, I want you to get me the plugs and thanks sheet, actually, because I don't have it hang with on, me. Hang on, hang on. And it, ah. So that, or I have to play the midget guitar while you read them out. Yeah. And uh, you're decidedly more musical than I am. Yeah. So technically, it's not a guitar. So the one thing that I did when I went to Hawaii because um, it was kind of near my birthday I thought I'd buy myself a birthday present and I bought myself a genuine Hawaiian ukulele um, if you adjust that mic stand yeah. while you're talking I'll kill you I'm not going to do it <laughs> while I'm talking I'll do it afterwards <laughs> um, yeah so I was. Uh, it was one of the things I was determined to get hold of and in our action packed uh, hectic schedule I managed to find literally 20 minutes where mm-hmm. I, I managed to find a, a shop and I bought myself one mm-hmm. um, so I've had two weeks practice okay <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd never played one before, so I'll I'll, I'll uh, strum a few chords while you read it, and then we'll play us out. So, with uh, with the assistance of uh, background music, uh, this has of course been episode twenty one of the Have You Seen podcast. Uh, if you would like to get involved, uh, you can. Uh, <laughs> it's quite distracting, actually. <laughs> you can uh, find us on Twitter at hys podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Have You Seen podcast. We have a blog, uh, which at the very least will be where you can find the latest episode. We try and put up links and whatnot, uh, and that's bit.ly slash podcast. That may be getting... We may actually be able to afford a proper domain soon, uh, so uh, keep them peeled. You can get in contact with us through all those methods, uh, but if you have anything particularly long you want to say about any film we've seen and you have also seen, uh, then uh, hys dot dot hys podcast at gmail.com is our email address <laughs> you'd be amazed how distracting a man playing a ukulele in your peripheral vision can be when you're trying to read from a sheet of paper uh, and on that note i think we should uh, pack this up and go home so uh, i'll let tom play on until i decide to fade out uh, but from uh, tom the amazing ukuleleist and me the poor reader uh, it's goodbye <laughs>